Welcome to a, another episode, episode two of the Wizards podcast with Greg Thinberg. On today's episode, we're going to be talking depth chart. We have a dilemma here on the Wizards uh, concerning guaranteed contracts. Right now, there's 17 guaranteed contracts. 15 of those will be on the active roster come October 25th, uh, meaning that two guys are going to have to get cut. Usually it'll be pretty cut and dry, but it's not as simple with the Wizards because they have a lot of guys that are in that gray area of a little too old, but can contribute now and very young and have good upside, but might not be able to help as much as some of the older guys. So we'll get into that uh, a little bit later. We also want to break down the Tosh Gibson signing, you know, for a signing that won't make much of a difference. It's very polarizing. There's a lot of people that enjoy the fact that we'll have another veteran presence. And some people think we kind of have too many veteran presences now, and that spot would be better used on someone that's young and that has upside instead of someone that's slowly uh, finding himself out of the rotation and eventually out of the league. So we'll get into that. And the last thing will be, you know, a full breakdown of, of the depth chart. We have, you know, a lot of people vying for spots, a lot of rookies like Bilal uh, trying to get into the rotation. A lot of guys like, Danny and Corey and Johnny just trying to find their role, trying to find where they fit positionally. So, you know, we'll get we'll get into that as well. And I'll give my prediction on who gets cut as we get uh deeper into the episode. So just get right into it. You know, the the first thing that that I want to touch on is my is my depth chart because I feel like that will set the stage for the rest of of the episode in terms of me being able to share my thoughts so you guys have a little bit of a background on where I'm coming from here. So I I just I took the um I took the time to go through the depth chart, go through the players and make my own. So so here's where I have it as of now. At point guard, Tyus Jones is the first he's starting and and backing him up is is Delon Wright and behind Delon is uh Rollins. Shooting guard, we have Poole starting, Shamit as the backup, Johnny Davis as the third string. Small forward, Denny Avdia is the small forward. Corey Kispert backs him up. Bilal Kulabali backs him up. I understand. I know a lot of people just roll their eyes at me. Look, I'm just predicting here. Don't shoot the messenger. If it were me, Bilal, Bilal might start, but he might, sorry, he might not start, but he would definitely be in that second unit. It just depends whether Wes wants to go with talent over upside. Uh, at power forward, Kyle Kuzma starts. Gallinari backs him up. Cooks backs him up. We have Gill and Baldwin Jr. rounding that group out. I tried to sneak Baldwin Jr. into the small forward spot, but at his size, 6'9", his length, you know, he's not as laterally quick as most of the small forwards, and I just, I can't, I wouldn't feel comfortable putting him out there at small forward, even if it does mean he might see a little bit more playing time. So, unfortunately, he's at a position where we have a lot of talent, or not, not talent, but we have a lot of bodies. So, Keep the power forward spot in mind, uh, noting that I just named five guys for one position. And and at center, Gafford starts. Muscala is the primary backup. And with the new signing, Taj Gibson backs him up. Uh, if we look at the two-way deals, Jared Butler, a third-year player, I believe, out of Baylor, spent a lot of time in the G League, uh, most recently played Summer League for the Thunder and gave the Wizards buckets. So I'm really excited for that signing. And then Eugene Omarui. He, he's just a, a slash. He's a body. You know, if you watch the game against Detroit that uh, Gaff hit the buzzer beater on last year, he he gave us problems. He's just a hustle guy. Uh, I I don't know if spending a two-way on a 20, I think he's 26, on a 26-year-old is the best idea. But 
look, that's who we have. Uh, and, and hopefully he, he does well with the go-go and maybe moves up uh, to the Wizards. And the third spot is vacant right now. We can sign a lot of people. A lot of people wanted Usman Garuba at that spot, even to the active roster. There's a lot of young guys that I'd like to sign there for the third, the third two-way spot. But as of right now, we don't have anyone. And then the last thing to note is there's one invite to training camp, which is Dejan Vasilovic. He's the sharpshooter from Summer League, came out of Miami, played in the NBL. He can shoot. Defending is a little bit of an issue for him. He's undersized. But if he can shoot well enough, maybe he can earn himself that third two-way spot. Maybe he can crack the uh, the 15 guys on the roster, although I doubt it. Uh, but he signed an Exhibit 10, so basically a training camp deal. Uh, I don't foresee him sticking around with the Wizards just because we have a lot of talent um, in in the position that he plays, being shooting guard. So we'll, we'll have to see how he performs. So that leaves one spot open. We can bring 21 guys to training camp. We right now have 20. I don't foresee anyone being signed um, to participate in training camp, but we'll, we'll have to see. But that leaves us with, with the, the depth chart right there. Uh, and, and as I mentioned before, with the signing of Taj Gibson, we now have 17 guaranteed contracts. By the start of opening night, which for most teams is the 25th, including the Wizards of October, you can only have 15 guys on guaranteed contracts. Our 15 guys are, I would say our 13 guys are pretty set in stone. I have 13 players that I think are locks to make the roster that's Tyus Jones, Jordan Poole, Danny Abdia, Kyle Kuzma, Daniel Gafford, DeLon Wright, Landry Shamit, Corey Kispert, Danilo Gallinari, Mike Muscala, uh, Taj Gibson, not because of talent, because we just signed him, Johnny Davis, and Bilal Koulibaly. Half of those players, because not because they're talented, but because they're young and we're still taking time to see what we have in them. The other half is because they're way too talented to get rid of. So that leaves us with, with four players that I believe are on the bubble. Ryan Rollins, Patrick Baldwin Jr., Xavier Cooks, and Anthony Gill. Two of those players are young players we got in the trade this offseason. Still very raw, but have a lot of upside. Two of those players are fringe rotation guys. They kind of play the same role, play the same position. They're going to go out there and hustle. They're going to grab rebounds. They're going to set screens. They're great teammates, but they don't necessarily impact what we're trying to do here in terms of rebuild cooks being 28 gill being 30 it doesn't it doesn't seem like they're fits for this current team maybe last year they were good fits because they can come in and contribute and you know we don't really have to worry about developing a ton of talent because we're trying to win now whereas when we're transitioning to a rebuild although it might not happen now and the rebuild might come two years from now uh, it's still would shock me if we went for what those guys bring to the table over what the younger guys could potentially bring to the table. So that being said, here's how, how I think it plays out. I think Anthony Gill gets waived and that hates that. That pains me to say, because obviously I'm not around the team. I don't know the guys like that, but from everything I've read, Anthony Gill is a consummate pro he is the nicest guy in the building. He's the first one off the bench. He's the the last one to leave practice, the first one to get to practice. He's just the type of guy you want in your locker room, you want on your team. Unfortunately for him, at 30 years old, seemingly at his peak in terms of 
talent, I can't justify taking him over someone like Patrick Baldwin Jr. If if I were playing like I was last year to win, I would take Anthony Gill probably 80% of the time over Patrick Baldwin Jr. Because Anthony Gill can come into the game. He knows his role. He's good at what he does. And he's great in terms of being a locker room presence. But for right now and when we're rebuilding, I'd rather go with upside over what can get me wins right now. So that's what that's why I would I would unfortunately have to wave have to wave Gill. And and the, the case I'd make for PBJ to stay there is not only upside, not only being just 20 years old, but at his size of 6'9 and, and the ability to shoot that he's shown not only in high school, not only in college, but in, in summer league as well, you never know what he can turn into. And what's great about it is we have these next two years to find out. Patrick Baldwin Jr. could flunk out and not be a great player and might be off the team in two years, and I wouldn't lose sleep over it because we didn't, we didn't waste a high pick on him. Um, we didn't really waste anything on him. We traded the 57th pick for him. So you basically got this guy for free. You might as well see what he can do. Give him the playing time necessary, the reps necessary, and hope that he pans out. I've always compared him to someone like Michael Porter Jr. You know, had his injury uh, issues, didn't do well in college, mainly because he went for some reason to play for his dad in Milwaukee, had offers from all of these big-time schools as a top recruit, uh, and, and comes to the pros, gets drafted to a team like Golden State that had a lot of talent, was winning now, didn't really find a playing time, and and that's all caused him to fall a little bit behind. But in D.C., we have the luxury of being able to play someone like this that might not be the most talented at his position, but can get the reps here because we're not – solely determined on winning a title or determined on developing talent and getting better as we move into this rebuild. So if, if it's between those two, I'm definitely going with Baldwin jr. That's the first one. The second roster spot that has to go gets a little tough, mainly because I like Xavier cooks as a player. If you watched anything in the world cup, this, uh, this past summer, he balled out. I mean, he, he had games where he would put up 20 and 10, five assists. He would shoot the ball really efficiently, played really good defense. Like, he he's a guy that can really contribute to winning basketball. The only, the only concern, the only issue is fit, as the same with Gil. He's 28 years old, essentially will be a rookie this season. He's still pretty raw. I mean, if you watched any of the games last year towards the end of the season – he could get rebounds. He's really athletic. He he can play defense, but the offense is an issue. Not being able to shoot at the forward, especially in today's NBA, is a little bit of an issue. And yet again, I can't justify taking a 28-year-old rookie that is kind of a niche player where he can find his role and play it well, but it's not necessarily going to be beneficial to the Wizards who are not trying to win anything of significance right now i can't justify taking him over someone like rollins who again just 21 years old has a ton more upside than him and also plays point guard where we only have two guys and that's something that i want to i want to hone in on we have five power forwards on this roster right now that would be a third of every single player we can take we can take 15 keep that in mind that's five power forwards right now you you cut two of the power forwards, you have three guys at each position. 
Now, a ton of guys have positional versatility, and they can play multiple spots like Bilal, like Corey, uh, like Johnny Davis. You never know where he can play. But the fact that we have so many power forwards makes this a little bit easier for me. So if it, if it were up to me, I'd cut Gill. I'd cut Cooks. Cooks, uh, the contract is not an issue. I know a lot of people are up in arms because we just gave him a four-year deal worth a couple million. Like, we're going to have to keep paying him. This season, we'd eat the money, and we'd owe him around about $1.9 But there's a team option after that, and then the contract goes away. So I would be willing to pay an extra $2 million of dead salary in order to keep Patrick Baldwin Jr. on my team. Same goes for Rollins. As for Cooks, or sorry, as for Gill, it's in the same same the same situation in terms of contract. Uh, you know, it, it's an expiring deal. If you remember before last season, we gave him a two-year deal. So it's around 1.9 million, I believe. You can cut ties with him, eat the money because we have a lot of salary cap now. And you can you can essentially move on from two older guys that aren't necessarily going to be in your long-term plans. And then you can evaluate guys like Rollins and Patrick Baldwin Jr., just 20 and 21 years old with a ton of upside and see if they will be here for the long haul, see what you have. I understand a lot of people have different takes on this, but to me, that is that is the way I would go. Breaking down the Taj Gibson signing is going to be the next part of this podcast because – I quite frankly don't understand the Taj Gibson signing. It would be one thing if we signed, like I mentioned before, a guy like Usman Garuba, young player, didn't work out with the Rockets, not enough space in OKC, and you can bring him over to the Wizards, former first-round pick, and see what he has. Even sign him to a two-way deal, see what he contributes in the G League, and possibly break him up. There's a bunch of younger guys like that for example, Nerlens Noel, he's another free agent. Uh, Nemus Keda just got cut by the Kings. He's a free agent. Like, there's a lot of of guys that I would have preferred to sign over Taj Gibson. Now, don't get me wrong, we needed center depth. I've been preaching this all off season. We needed center depth badly. We only had two centers on the roster for ever since the KP trade for the bulk of the off season. And as we were getting closer and closer to October, I was getting a little bit concerned that we would only have two going into the training camp. So I'm I'm happy that we have depth there, depth there to back up Gafford, who, as we know, great player, great rim protector, tends to get into foul trouble a lot. I didn't want to go into the season and after Gaff picks up two quick fouls in the first quarter, be solely reliant on a singular individual like Mike Muscala to carry the load the entire game. You like what happens if unfortunately he gets hurt you're going to sign someone off the street like you might as well use a roster spot at, for that third center so i'm happy we got more depth i'm just not overly ecstatic by the player he doesn't fit our timeline i believe he's what 38 or 39 he's on his last legs when he can when he played last season like he he does his job he sets screens he rebounds but he doesn't do it well enough for me to justify taking him over someone else that might help me in the future. It's the same thing I go back to with Gill and Cooks. They're great players, sorry, good players now, and can help me win more games than some of the other guys I'd keep. But in terms of the future, I don't see them in my plans at all. 
So I don't I don't see why I would waste a roster spot on them over giving it to someone else that's younger and that has more upside and that might be here uh, for the long call. So, you know, at three point two million, it's not a groundbreaking signing. I just would have preferred that we brought in someone younger. That's just my opinion on it. What I will note, and I could be grasping at straws here, I could be reaching here, but why I'm gonna I'm channeling my inner Brian Windhorse meme where he puts both of his fingers up. I'm doing that right now, just so you know. You can't see me, but I'm doing it. What if the Taj Gibson signing was done because we understand Gil won't be here come the season? Because this signing to me not, not is not really about center depth. It's about getting another guy in the building that as is a veteran knows what it takes to win can teach the young guys on the team, how to be professionals, how to work out, how to, you know, just be there every day and be a great teammate, be the best version of themselves. And Tosh Gibson does that. And that's exactly what Will Dawkins said uh, in his comments about, about Tosh when we signed him, you know, constant pro will be a big asset in the locker room, veteran presence, all that. But why would you sign him if you already have Anthony Gill on the roster? I feel like they do pretty similar things. Gill can play small ball five. You can move from there. He's done it a lot. Same with Cooks. I just I don't I don't see a world where we sign Taj Gibson to be that veteran presence and keep Anthony Gill. I again I could be reaching here, but that's just something to note. So as I mentioned, you know, if we have 17 contracts, we can only keep 15. Training camp is going to be interesting because we'll have a bunch of positional battles. Um, and, and they'll they'll battle that. Look, if if Cooks really impresses in camp and Baldwin Jr. really doesn't, and they cut Baldwin Jr. and then and then Cooks shows out, like I, I'll shut up. I'm gonna be really annoyed that we caught Patrick Baldwin Jr. without being able to give him the reps necessary to see what he can do. But as I mentioned, you don't want to just give people spots because they're younger or just give them spots because they fit your timeline. They need to earn it. You know, I, and if you create a culture where it doesn't matter how good you are in training camp, how good you are in practice, all that all that matters is other, other outside factors. Uh, it's not great in terms of building the culture in D.C. You know, we're trying to build a winning culture and, and a part of that culture has to be earning your spot. And as I mentioned, that's a perfect transition into positional flexibility and the positional battles we'll have here in camp. Starting with the point guard, I'll go position by position and give my take on each. It seems pretty clear cut to me that Tyus Jones should start a point guard, but it doesn't seem to be that way for most, for not most Wizards fans, but for a ton of Wizards fans. I've had a lot of people comment that Tyus is better served off the bench He's done that his whole career. They don't know if he can make that leap from starter or from bench player to starter. You know, it's a whole different world. As we saw with Monte Morris last year, a little bit of a slow start. Towards the end, he found a stride, understood how to play with the starters and, and with that level of talent. But a lot of people maybe think it's a transitional period. Maybe don't think he's big enough or well-equipped to start. I don't see it like that at all. I think it's pretty clear. I mean... From your point guard, you want someone that pass is a pass-first point guard, 
gets his teammates the rock in positions to score and doesn't turn the ball over like a game manager. And who better than the guy who's led the league in this is the turnover ratio the last two years. And even better, you have the guy behind him who has been top 10 in assisted turnover ratio. So I, I don't see this as a true position battle in camp. I think Tyus clearly gets the starting job. DeLon clearly gets the backup job. It's just a matter of what they do with Rollins. There's been, as I mentioned, there's been a little bit of discourse uh, and conversation about converting him to a two-way uh, trying to keep one of Cooks or Gill on the roster. Look, if you can do that and you know for certain he's going to pass waivers, I'm fine with that. I think Rollins still does need time in the G League. The issue with that is if, number one, if you waive Rollins, another team could snag him up, which I'm sure they will in two seconds. Number two, he might see it as an FU, like, oh, you want to waive me and put me in the G League so you can take someone else? Okay, fine. I'm going to go sign with a contender. I'm going to go sign with someone else. So I just I I don't think the risk is worth the reward necessarily because I'm I'm a fan of Rollins and his upside. So I, I wouldn't do that personally. Uh and he would be slotted in if he makes the roster at the third, third position uh in point guard. So I, I don't see that as a, a true positional battle. Uh Tyus Jones starts for me. At shooting guard, the battle isn't for starting because obviously Jordan Poole starts. We know that. The battle is between Shamit and Davis. And I don't think this is a battle in terms of talent per se. If it was, Shamit blows him out of the water. He's a great three-point shooter. He knows his role. He plays it well. There's a reason he's been traded from contender to contender at every deadline because he's a useful asset. And I'm sure he'll get traded to another contender again this year. The, the dilemma here is more in terms of philosophy. Are we trying to win now and put the best players, the most talented players on the floor? Or are we trying to develop talent, get our young guys reps in game that are invaluable, by the way, and and try to use these next couple years to see what we have in people? Because obviously Johnny Davidson had the best rookie season. He spent a lot of time in the G League. But how can you evaluate the steps that he's made, the growth that he's made this offseason if he's not playing. So it's a dilemma. It's a difficult decision. I think to start the season, we're going to go with Shamit. I don't honestly know what to think of that. I'd prefer Davis just get the reps. Like We're not going to win the title this year, and Shamit's not going to be here past the deadline this year. Why not let Johnny Davis play? He doesn't have to play 20 to 30 minutes a game, but if he's riding the bench, then what is his purpose being there? You might as well send him back down to the G League. So we'll see how that all unfolds. Moving on to the next position, and look, I, I can talk about the small forward debate. I actually went on Locked On Wizards podcast, great podcast, so uh, make sure if you're listening, listen to that next. Uh, I went on that podcast, and I, I talked about the small forward position, and when I went through I named the point guard, shooting guard, power forward, and center because I wanted to leave this last. This is a really polarizing debate, not only between Wizards fans, but amongst fans of all NBA teams because it it takes in, into consideration the way the NBA is going and the way the, the direction it's not going. You used to have that lockdown defender in every lineup to make sure you can clamp up their best player. Now, 
you need to make sure you have enough shooting in the lineup because that's how you win games. You have your shooter in Kispert, 40-plus percent last season, shot the lights out, but he can't defend as well as, as a lot of people on the floor. Could become a defensive liability. Then you move on to pretty much his opposite in Denny Avdia, who is a great defender, sometimes fouls a little too much, but when not fouling, he's a great defender and can take away the opposing team's best player, but he can't shoot. His outside jumper is on and off, most of the time off. And I, as much as I want to hope and expect that he gets better this season and really honed in on his mechanics this offseason, I've said that the last two years, and it's it's been the same thing. So considering that, I'm still going to go with Denny to start. I'm going to go more so defense instead of shooting. And that's that's kind of where I'm at. I'm not going Danny the player over Corey the player. I'm going with defense over shooting. I feel like we have enough offense in this unit between Tyus, Poole, and Kuz. And then if you start Corey, you have an explosive offense and great spacing. But you also have a bunch of liabilities on defense. You would basically be leaving, excuse me, you'd basically be leaving Gafford on an island there by himself to protect the rim. And and I'm not a fan of that. I think, especially under defensive head coach like Wes Ansel Jr., we need to play much better defense. We've been in the bottom 10 the last two years, and that's unacceptable. So I would go with Danny here. I hate that Corey doesn't start because I think he's good enough to. But coming off the bench, he's still going to play 25-plus minutes a game, maybe even close to 30-plus minutes a game. And he's going to get his shots up. I'm excited to see him play with a guy like Tyus, who can set the table. We all know how well the whole team played, honestly, with DeLon Wright. Uh, so I would partially go with Denny Avdi here. I, I'm interested. Let me know. DM me on Twitter. Send me a tweet. What you think about who should start a small forward? Because I know I, I have a lot of people that want to start Corey over Denny. And then I have a lot of people a lot of Denny stands, which I'm I'm a self self claiming Denny stand, that would prefer Denny start over Corey. And what's so crazy about about this debate is that there's a whole nother branch of it in Bilal Kulabali starting. The Denny people and the Corey people are only one third and and one third respectively of this debate. There's a ton of people that think Bilal Kulabali should start, and I will not get in the way of that. If Bilal starts and Bilal can find his way without being too much of a liability to the players around him, that's perfectly fine by me. My only concern is that teams are just going to play Poole and Kuz that much tighter, send doubles because Bilal is very raw offensively. He's not a great shooter, especially a three-point shooter, and that could cause issues for the team on offense. I don't think it's beneficial to throw him into the fire right away, especially when we have a lot of time in terms of this rebuild to figure out what his strengths, his weaknesses are, get him in game reps, make sure he's working on his game and getting better. Like I said, I'm for it. I don't mind doing that. I just, I think starting Denny or Corey over him is the better call for right now. Now, if you talk to me about this mid season and below showing that he 
is a capable offensive player and he's showing that he can fit with the starting unit by all means. I just don't know if right now at whatever he is, 19 years old, he's ready to start right away. That was a lot. That was a lot on the small forward. Power forward is not as difficult as that. Kuz starts pretty obvious. Just gave him a a four-year deal. It's worth roughly $92 million. Awesome contract. We touched on that in the last podcast, how much I love the the winding, how his contract winds down in value every single year. Uh, So he starts there. Excited to see what he can do. He's option 1A slash 1B between him and Poole. He's going to get a ton of shots. Just need to make sure he's efficient in, in taking those shots. Gallinari backs him up. As I mentioned before, Gallinari is my dark horse contributor for this team. You name me a team that Danilo Gallinari has gone to and and didn't contribute, not counting the Celtics because he was hurt, then I'll shut up. But until someone does that, I'm going to believe that Danilo Gallinari will contribute in some way to the Wizards. He was far too good with Thunder. He was an awesome player with the Hawks when they made the, the Eastern Conference Finals run under Trey in 2021. And and he just seems to, to, to be a guy that scores and and plays his role well at every single stop. I think he's going to be a great complement to the second unit. He's going to back up Kuz well. And he's also another consummate pro. Been in the league for a decade plus. He's been to a lot of stops, a lot of teammates, and understands what to do, what not to do, and can and can pass that down to some of the younger players on the team. So he backs up Kuz. And, and look, as I mentioned, it would be Cook, Skill, or Baldwin Jr. I personally gave it to Baldwin Jr., factoring in how young he is, his upside compared to the latter two. So Baldwin Jr. slots in at that last spot. I don't know if there's a ton of playing time, and I could even see them, you know, trying to, I wouldn't say play him towards the, I'll call it the Isaiah Todd minutes at the end of the game, but that's honestly the only time I see him playing, which sucks because I think he needs the in-game reps to get better, but with the amount of people in front of him, I don't see him coming in to play until the deadline when Gallinari is presumably traded to a contender. Lastly, but not least, we have the center position. Gafford starts, and, and it's about time that he starts. He started a bunch of last year, but I'm not going to count that because he was essentially playing with another center. He wasn't the sole, the sole guy, the sole anchor in the paint down low. This year, he's the lead guy. He's the rim protector. He's who we're relying on with the first unit to match up against guys like Embiid, Porzingis when we play the Celtics, Anthony Davis, you know, Jokic. He's going to get a ton of these assignments. And one thing I am concerned about is Gafford's awesome against high-flying centers, athletic centers, a little undersized centers. But against the, big, the bigger guys like Embiid and Jokic, he struggles a little bit because – Gaff's long, he he's athletic, he can jump, but he doesn't necessarily have the weight that those guys do. And his length helps him there in terms of getting to the shots, but I I really just want to see him hold his own against those guys. That'll be the true defining factor if you know he can hang hang with the, the premier centers of the league. Behind him is Muscala. I still haven't forgiven Muscala. If you remember game what was it, game three against the Hawks, the the game Paul Pierce hit the shot, the bank shot where he said I called game. 
Mike Muscala torched us. He had the game tying three when they came back from like 21 down. That's that was probably one of the lowest moments of my Wizards fandom career when they tied that game. And Mike Muscala was celebrating that three in my face. That was pretty tough to watch. But all's forgiven now, Mike. I hope that he can not only stretch the floor like he's done at a lot of stops, but also hold his own in the paint. He's a bigger guy. He's a seven-footer. So, you know, I hope that he can hold his own. He's not going to contribute the way Gafford does, but you don't want the fall off to be as steep as it was with, like, John Wall, where his backup point guards were, like, Brandon Jennings and Will Bynum and and Ty Lawson, that one playoff run. You know, you want to make sure that the fall off isn't that steep and hopefully Muscala holds his own. And then behind him is Gibson. I think Taj's role is going to be pretty similar to what he does, what he did last year. You're not going to see him much unless, unfortunately, someone gets injured and he has to fill in for that spot. He's really just there for mentorship and for depth. That's what I would consider his role to be. And he's going to play it well because he's a consummate pro. But, you know, as I mentioned before, I don't know if he was the best signing for that for that center spot. So that's my depth chart. I I think that's pretty set in stone for me. I'm going to revisit this come, let's say, like – October 20th, maybe a week before the season, and see what what we do. I'm curious to see what all, the, all of you listeners, all you guys listening, and in general, Wizards fans think. Do they agree with my with my plan to cut Gill and Cooks and go towards the youth movement we're creating in D.C., or do they value Cooks, or do they value Gill's leadership, and do they value Cooks's ability to rebound and score, not score, rebound, defend, and do all of those things at a higher level than Patrick Baldwin Jr. So we'll have to see how that how that all plays out. But if I could, if I could leave you with one last point, the the main thing, and I just wrote an article about this on Bullets Forever entitled, you know, Wizards expectations. What can we expect? What what I think the best mindset is and what I'm going to go into the season with is we're playing with house money. We don't need to tank and get the first pick this year. It's not like it's a Wemby draft. We have a whole nother year before Cooper flag and Boozer and all of those guys are in that great draft class in 2025. This is a pretty underwhelming draft class. One that I would be ecstatic if we got a top pick, but I'm not going to be losing sleep if we don't. I think Winning games should not be should not be thought about as a bad thing this season. I don't think we're going to win less than the 25 and a half games that they predicted in Vegas. I think we're going to at least get to 30 and we might even win more. I I'm not going to sit here and try to root for losses just because in the long term it might help the team. I'm not going to do that. I want to this season will be a success to me if I see this team developing young talent. Bilal gets better. Denny has found a shot. Corey is continuing to torch teams from deep. Johnny Davis is a decent contributor, plays his role well, continues to defend hard. Those are those are things that I want to see. I want to see Poole and Kuz be efficient, score the points that they need, but also be efficient. I want to see Patrick Baldwin Jr. and Ryan Rollins get minutes after the trade deadline, I want to see all of these things. And if if that happens and we win 20 games, fine. If that happens and we win 35 games, fine as well. I don't I don't see the need to lose and bottom out 
this year, especially with the talent we have. Think about it like this. The season is going to be split up into two, I'd call it two different segments. From October to February, this team's going to be competitive. We have a bunch of really good, proven veteran players. Tyus Jones, Gallinari, Poole, Kuz, Gafford, Shamit. They're going to help us win games. We're not going to be that bad. We're not going to be a pushover like Detroit and Charlotte uh, and Houston have been the last couple years, especially to start the season. And I think we're going to be a competitive group. I don't think we're going to be near the top of the East up until the trade deadline, but I think we're going to be competitive and we're going to win a lot more games than people expect. The The issue is come, come the trade deadline, come February, a lot of players on our team are going to be gone. I think we're going to gut a lot of the roster, which is fine. People, I'll just name a couple of names. Shamit, Gallinari, Muscala, I'm not going to say uh, – a lot of people think I'm going to say Kuz. I don't think he gets traded or pull this uh, this deadline. But Muscala, Gallinari, Shamit, potentially Tyus Jones, if they don't view him as part of their future plans, potentially Tyus Jones. Uh, Danny – I hate to say that. I just said I was a Danny stand earlier in the episode. But Danny could be on the move if we don't envision – giving him an extension. Think about like the Rui Hachimura situation last year. If we're not going to sign him, you might as well trade him. I don't think that happens. I think Denny stays in DC throughout the remainder of the season, but you never know. Those four, those four guys though, that I mentioned, if they're all traded, your team is, is bad. It's inherently a bunch of young guys finding their way with Gafford, Kuz and Poole. There's not a lot of room to win games there. So I think in the beginning of the season, we're going to play well. We're going to be competitive. We're going to be a gritty group. But towards the end, we're going to fall off a little bit because we're going to trade our veterans and, and we're going to get a little bit worse. So if we start winning games in the beginning of the season, don't panic. I don't I don't want to see a bunch of Wizards fans actively rooting against this team because winning winning this season is not the end of the world, especially if the wins are coming from the talent that we've developed within, you know, there's a lot of good things happening in DC happening in terms of winning, uh, happening with the culture, turning this whole ship around. That's what I, that's what I want. And a lot of people will call me crazy, but I'll leave you with this 35 and 47. This season is a hundred times better than the 35 and 47 to the last two. And that's, that's solely because we are taking a step in the right direction we are winning. We are winning games with the guys that will be here for the long haul, uh, and and we're just we're taking yet another step to get back to where we want to be, and that's that's just how I'm going to go. That's my philosophy for the season. I'm not telling you how you should be a fan. I'm not telling you how to root for them. Me personally, I'm going to be pushing for this team to win, just because not only is it fun. I think it's going to be a really fun group, but I think we're going to be winning with. Our rookies playing well, our trade assets playing well, building up their value, you know, all of these things that will help us in the long call. So that's just my little spiel about that, a little bit of a rant. But yeah, I'll wrap it up here. You know, we, we went through the entire depth chart. You know, I named my starters. A little bit of a breakdown. I cut Gill. I cut Cooks. It, it sucks because I, I do like those guys, not only as people, but as players. Uh but I think going with youth here is the smart move. 
let me know what you guys think uh, in terms of who gets cut. Would you cut Rollins, try to convert him to a two-way? Would you cut Baldwin Jr. and keep Cooks because you don't view Baldwin Jr. as a contributor anyway? Let me know. And the last thing is the trivia question for this week. And this is this is a good one because last week we didn't even have one. My brother just threw out Alan Anderson. And oh, sorry, let me pull that up actually because uh, I have a list of all the people that uh, that got that one right. So, Sean, District Sportsbook, NBA Mar 1, Mitchell 137, Will Clayton, Sean P, Hoops with Jay, Ghost 9000, and Cornelius Kidwell. Shout out to you guys. Alan Anderson wore the number six on the Wizards. I had a lot of eights. I had a lot of ones, but those are the people that got it right with six. So, shout out to you guys. The trivia question for this week is, which player on the Wizards has worn a number greater than 60. It's not a lot, but what player on the Wizards throughout their career has worn a, a number over 60? There's going to be a, multiple answers to this, but I felt it would be fun, not just one singular answer. You know, we can get a bunch of different names, have a little bit of fun with it. So you can comment that underneath the, uh, the tweet that I send out with the pod, but it's going to wrap it up for this again. Appreciate all the support on my first episode. Appreciate um, everyone listening to this one. I hope you guys enjoyed it. So yeah, peace.